Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United City Greensboro podcast, a church in the heart of Greensboro with a desire to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. You can learn more about our community at unitedcitygso.com. Enjoy today's teaching. All right, before we get started, I'm going to read the scripture for you this morning. It is John 10, 11 through 19. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down for my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was, again, a division among the Jews because of these words. This is the word of the Lord. Sweet. Good morning, everybody. If you don't know me, I'm I'm Pastor Corey. Um, I lead the prayer ministry here at United City. And I help out in a couple other little areas here and there. Um, if I haven't met you, I would love to meet you uh, after service. We can have a chat. We can talk about the sermon and all this other good stuff or whatever you want to talk about. Uh, the other thing is, it's just FYI, you know, it's been since last October since I preached. I'm from Madison. I just want to point this out again. So Madison, North Carolina is about an hour that way. And I gave this imagery of the paragraph. Some of you may remember, maybe you don't. So that how Madison people talk, think of a paragraph, take the commas, the spaces, and periods, and squeeze it all together. Visualize that in your head, and just read that out loud. <laughs> and so that's kind of like what happened. So, well, I, you know, I'm from Madison, so I could get excited today. And it might sound like that. And I don't want you to be alarmed. I'm, I'm not going to be speaking in tongues. My parents are in the front row. Shout out to them. <laughs> Um, so they are here. Your gauge for today is if their hands are raised and they're on the ground, that I might be speaking in tongues. I don't know. <laughs> but yes, they are here. Um, before we get started, though, I would love to pray uh, on a serious note because more prayer is better than less prayer. So we're going to pray. Jesus, I just thank you for today. I thank you for this moment, Lord, this opportunity that I get to have to be able to speak of your authority to speak of your words, which are perfect, that you would use someone like myself for someone like you. Lord, my only ask is this morning that you are glorified, you are heard, that you are here, that you are among us, that you are softening the hearts, not me or anyone else in this room. It's not emotionalism. It's not something that was just conjured up to just pull the heartstrings for you just feel a certain way to know Jesus. No, it's you. That, Lord, that you will be the one who speaks. Lord, I know that me being up here and speaking of your truth, I am judged more strictly by you. So that 
that you'd be among us and thank you for everything that you're going to do. And everybody said, amen. So the past couple of weeks, we've been going through the I Am Sermon series, where the first week we talked about I Am the Bread, and the second week, I Am the Light, and last week, Spencer spoke on I Am the Gate or the Door. It was also in John 10. So today, as I'm talking about I Am the Good Shepherd, there's going to be a lot of cohesion between the two. There's going to be overlap, and it's just going to be this one big picture, like big picture of these two being connected together. And so... As we go into it, for many of us, the image of a shepherd is kind of like nowadays kind of confusing because it's not a part of our language. I don't, I don't go out here and say, man, what a shepherd to like my boss. Man, you are, you are a shepherd, man. You know, it's just not, you know, it's just kind of confusing since it's not a regular part of our life. So for the original listener, a shepherd had profound cultural and historical implications, Shepherd imagery was common in many parts of the ancient world. Like Spencer said briefly last week, that other countries, other nations, other people used this as kings were described to it, as lowercase g gods were described as shepherds. And not only with them, but we see with the nation of Israel having the exact same thing. It was integral to their origin to have a shepherd as the nation of people of God. So the role of the shepherd became synonymous with leadership, both political and spiritual. A reference to a good shepherd would also serve as a deliberate and scathing criticism to those in leadership who were not and who were failing those they served. This was a standard that had to be kept, and if someone kept it, the other people surrounding them were judged by that standard as if it was a call out, and so to speak. And so this word, the word in English, good, can be translated in its original means, intrinsically good, beautiful, fair. Not only does Jesus claim that he'll be a better guide and protector of his sheep and those who come before him, he's speaking against the present leaders, the ones who are leading his sheep, the ones who are leading his people, spread out across the world. That's who he's talking to. And Luke, a physician and a historian who speaks about Jesus' life, quoted Jesus saying, you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. And so it should be understood that Jesus is the good shepherd, not simply a good shepherd. He is the shepherd, not a good shepherd, as many others may be, but he is unique in character, quality, and model. This quality signifies not only of a good, good of an inward character, but that of something that is attractive outwardly. There's this like gravitational pull to the presence of Jesus because there's no good like it. There's nothing comparable. There's nothing similar it's standalone and one off of himself. So that good is like pulling you in because that's what you long for. That's what you're created for is good. And so this is an innate goodness. And therefore, in using the phrase, the good shepherd, Jesus is referencing his inherent goodness, his righteousness, his beauty, his love, the whole thing, and a beauty and attractive character. 
And so as the shepherd of the sheep, he is the one who protects and guides his flock. And so I don't know if you have had the opportunity to hear you know, a good shepherd sermon before in your life. Usually what ends up happening is it'll come up and they'll talk about sheep. Well, I'm talking about sheep today, just so you, FYI, that you're aware of. And some of these are actually connected with Spencer, um, and he said last week. But for us to truly understand this, we must realize what our placement is. Like we have to, to understand the depth and the, and the power and the goodness of Jesus. You have to, we got to realize where we are. Not on the horizontal plane, but it's this vertical place. So in the scriptures, the people of God are more widely known as what? The sheep or the flock of the Lord's. We are the sheep under the care of the shepherd. But sheep are some needy animals. Let me tell you, they're insufficient and inca- incapable of defending themselves and being honestly, truly independent. And so, like I said, I got a list of things about a sheep for you today. Some of you might be like, this is disgusting. Some of it might be new, and some of it might be like what we were talking about last week. And so we got some traits up here. And so the first one is if sheep are left unattended in a pasture, eventually they will eat all the grass and eat the remains of each other until they die. I told you, it was going to get gross. And it makes me think automatically of that you know, statement that's thrown around. It's like, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. But we've taken the shepherd out of that and thought we can get there on our own. Think of that for a second. You need a shepherd to lead you to what? Green pastures. And you ain't going to get there without one. And you're going to end up eating the same stuff that you got. The same crap that is in your life that you don't want there, expecting that, oh, look, there's green grass when it's the same thing because you don't have someone guiding you to it. The other is sheep have no sense of direction and they will follow whoever is leading them. No sense of awareness, no sense of direction, and whoever they will follow. Spencer mentioned this last week. This is the thing I'm connecting together here. It's about the shepherds who are, you know, have the sheep. They went on a little lunch break. And they're like, yeah, the sheep are fine. Well, the sheep are not fine. Because they just started like, let's just go on a venture. And that venture went off a cliff. And so it was like 1,400 of them, 400, you know, 14, or excuse me, 400 casualties. The other 1,000 were, you know, saved by the fluff of cotton that they landed on. And so what ends up happening is that they will follow. You know that thing where, you know, the other questions like, if a friend would jump off a cliff, would you? Well, they would. <laughs> like, they literally would. And some of us would too. So sheep have no sense of direction. If you go near a sheep, I did not learn this one by example. They're easily frightened, okay? Sheep are easily frightened. If you go near a sheep farm, blow a horn, the sheep will frantically run around until the shepherd calms them. If not, they will run until they collapse. Wild, I know. Yeah, so like, you know, in Psalms 23, again, with the green pasture, and he leads me by quiet waters, they're easily frightened. The moment they hear the rush of something, it don't matter. It could be the water, it could be a tree falling, they're going to be afraid, and they will just run and run and run and run and run. And if the shepherd doesn't show up, they will collapse. Like some of us in here, 
We got some things in our life that we're just running from. You know, there's no fight or flight. We just flight. We are running. We are fleeing. And we need someone to step in. We need someone, and there's only the one that can step in in his goodness that will pull you back to him. Or that question, it goes back to the garden. He says, where are you? And you say, here I am. We need that. And lastly, the anointing oil is in Psalm 23. He says, you know, he pours my head, it's overflowing or my cup's overflowing, pours anointing oil on my head. Was well, actually a reference to the sheep. Sheep needed anointing oil poured on their heads so the flies would not lay eggs in their ears. Wild, let me tell you. I'm just like, I'm ready to farm some sheep right now. And so with the, sheep, with the flies, if they did not have this oil placed on their head, you can put two and two together, the eggs would hatch and go inside. And it will drive the sheep insane. Just like some of us in here are going insane by the lies that you believe. Just like some of us in here by the guilt and the shame that you have accepted that Jesus never put on you. Someone else did. And all this hurt is in you. And so you over here banging your head against the wall wondering where it won't leave. It's actually not going to leave because you need the anointing of the Lord to pull that away, to bring you to freedom to bring you to liberty. And so this list right here will go on and on. There's some crazy facts. You can Google it if you want to. I was just blown away. Some of it, I was just like, nah, we're going to skip that. But this list goes on. But ultimately, it shows you that it, it leaves them at this place where they are helpless. So bowling all this information down should leave us understanding that we need a shepherd, but not just a shepherd, not just anybody. And if you've been here for a while, if you've heard this statement once, twice, maybe a dozen times, is who and or what are you following? Either it's a person, a career, a lifestyle, or something of the nature. You are in pursuit of something or someone, and you're the only one to answer the who or the what. And what I want you to get from all of this today, from what I said and where we're going, is that people possessions, power of this world will leave you, leave you. You know, back to a term from a sheep. If a sheep falls on its back, it can't get back up. There was a term in Psalms that David made was actually called cast down. A literal term is someone doesn't pick you up, you're going to die right there. So when David was saying, hey, I'm cast down, Lord, he's literally saying to the Lord, I cannot make it without you picking me up. But let me tell you, people, power, and possessions, they're not going to pick you up. They're going to leave you right there, and they're going to keep on going to find someone to feel, fulfill something that you were, but you messed up, and they're like, all right, cool, bye. They're out. And so in John 10, 12 through 13, Jesus is going to step into that. He's going to use this illustration to negatively compare the shepherd to a hired worker. Now, this hired worker is employed to care for things he neither bears full responsibility for nor even owns. So in the ancient world, a hired worker was actually viewed in a derogatory sense. It wasn't nice. <laughs> because those are who acted for pay or played the part because none of it 
is from loyalty or friendship. They just fulfilled a role. They're like, cool, this is good for me. You know, I'm here until, you know, I need to be. But it wasn't from friendship or loyalty. So what happens? So the moment the hired worker is threatened, he saves himself in leaving the sheep. In the very moment the worker is needed is the same time he fails to perform. Literally fails. And maybe the worker had enough intentions, but the self-interest overrides because there's no connection with the sheep. There's no care. There's no concern whatsoever. Not at all. And Jesus is trying to illuminate these actions of the hired worker. We learned a couple of weeks ago, he said, I'm the light. And that's what the light does. It exposes. It illuminates things that are before you. Because if Jesus wasn't, you would think the hired worker is a great guy. But the moment something happens, he ain't there. And Jesus is showing you this to compare negatively because he will be there. He will not walk away. He he won't leave you at all. And so he's doing this. And so simply the sheep do not matter to the hired worker. No care or concern. The sheep are a means to an end and an expendable means if the self-benefiting end in view is threatened. And so... We've experienced this, where the people that we need the most walk out. You're hurt, and we're left alone to deal with it. You're by yourself. We've experienced this. Even being in a church environment, there's still hurt. We've heard it. We've seen it. And this is for those who've been legitimately hurt by people within the church, not the ones who were called out because they were sinning. That's just truth. Truth hurts sometimes but it's helped you to grow and point you in the right direction. But this is for those who were legitimately hurt and left alone with the scars by people within the church. For many of us, this experience of hurt was pointed back to actually the leadership. The leadership to the big C church that was also put in a bad light. You know, the news is really good at broadcasting the very moment a church messes up. Let me tell you what, pastor embezzled money. The pastor, you know, had an affair. Hillsong, Mars Hill, come on. Like the world is really good to illuminate when something goes wrong. We're talking about cancel culture as if the church has never experienced it. We've been canceled since the first church. It is here. It is present. But the reality is it shows what's happening. Where the pastor has done things to children, to women, labor, anything that you see that happens when the church, we're here, it's not an elephant in the room, it's a reality. This is what's happening. And something I wanna make clear is that though that we have pastors that lead churches and congregations, which we do need, does not mean that that, this, that person or someone dictates your life. They don't control you. Yes, there's guidance, I wanna make this clear. I'm not trying to like put pastors in a bad light, I'd be doing it to myself. But it's like, Yes, there's counsel, there's direction, and even discipline in the appropriate place. We need that. We definitely need that. But not when it controls your life. That's not what it is. Not when it controls your life and tells you what to do. Because Jesus said to Peter in the last chapter of John, chapter 21, he asked Peter three simple questions. It's kind of the same thing. He said, do you love me? And Peter said, of course I do. You know this, Lord. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
And he asked the question, Peter responded. Jesus said, tend my sheep. Same thing, repeat the process. Jesus' response was, again, feed my sheep. There's only one, the good shepherd, and many a good shepherds in our church. Now, how these servants respond determines whether they're a Peter or a Judas, whether they're someone who can accept correction and repent and move forward, like Peter did with the first church that you see when he, you know, <laughs> the moment when he, you know, denied Jesus. Except he recepted it, repented, and you see what happened to Peter. But then you see Judas, who played the role. We all know what happened at the end. We know what happened in the end. And so Jesus takes this a step further in verse 14 through 15. Him by restating the I am, Jesus establishes the contrast between himself and any other so-called shepherd of the society and culture. So other than being concerned with the sheep, the good shepherd can claim to know his sheep. And even more, to claim them as his own and be claimed by them. Be claimed by them. There's this mutual knowing between the good shepherd and his sheep that define the nature of their coexistence. Their coexistence together. Now, this doesn't intend to blur the lines between our position and the Lord's position, but it puts an appropriate proximity where the Lord provides for and loves his sheep. And the sheep respond in gratitude, faith, love, and obedience to the Lord. And Pastor Mark Batterson said, Scripture is God's way of initiating a conversation, and prayer is our response. So this leads to intimacy. But what does that intimacy look like? You know, Bible, Scripture, Lord's Scripture, and prayer are cohesive. They go together. There's no one better than the other. It's meant to be together. Because the more you read the Bible, you know the Lord, his character, his attributes, the truth of who he is, his character, what he's done throughout all of history, what he's going to do for you, and all the 5,673 promises that are in there. You get to learn. So therefore, when you pray, you know who you're praying to. So when he responds, you know his voice. You'll know who is communicating. You will know who's responding and who is the actual voice of the Lord. It takes time. You're not going to learn it tomorrow. It takes devotion. It takes discipline to put these two together, to pray and to read. But what does that look like in the life with the shepherd? And so I have a little thing up here that's going to come up that has these four things. So life with the shepherd, and this is our order. So I'm going to explain this in a little bit. So what I've noticed in the kind of church culture in the past six or seven years is that we start with loving. We say, well, if I love God well, if I love him really well, it will lead me to more. Let me just love him really good, and then I'm going to get more. And then we go to trusting. Oh, well, now the more that I love the Lord, now I can trust him more. I've began to see some more, and now I can trust him with these other things. I can lean in and press into these things. Then it goes to obeying. So I'm loving him and trusting, and then I go to a place of obeying. All right, I'm going to do what you told me to do. Yes, love my enemies, even though I want to throw some things at them sometimes. Like, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow through. I'm going to follow suit and do these things so that we can ultimately get to a place that we just know him. 
Like we do all of these things to get to a place where we can get more, essentially. That we want to get a place that we can understand and have more of God than we have now. So we'll love, trust, obey to get to this place. To get to a place where I know more than I did yesterday. In reality, that's, this is not the correct order. And I'm going to show you the next one. And so this is what, to explain this, is that is knowing first. So what is this knowing? Knowing, and Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is what everlasting life is. He said everlasting life is to know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. That is everlasting life. It's like we read John 3, 16 and forgot about the end where it talks about everlasting life. We can all recite it, but we're like, oh, he died for me. I got his love. I love him. Well, the reality is that all that's for you to have everlasting life. Not just, oh, I love you, but have a place where your life is full. As it says in John 10, 10, came to give life to the full. So it starts with knowing, knowing who he is, acceptance of that. There is more to him. It starts with knowing him. It starts by reading. It starts by praying. It starts by stepping into those places where you're uncomfortable or where you need to go in further. And then it leads to, oh, the more I know him, I can trust him. Wow, I can trust you. I can trust you with what you just said because I know your character. It's like my relationship with Grace. I didn't just love her before I knew her. I began to know her. I got to know her. I got to figure her out. I got to know what her thinkings were, what her, her convictions were, what she loved and what she enjoyed. And because of that, I began to trust her because I got to see who she really was. She pulled back the curtain so I can see all of this. I can begin to trust her because that's who she says she was. I'm like, okay. And I can see her fill that out. And then it goes to loving. I'm like, man, there's really more to this girl right here. Like I should have put a ring on it, and I did. <laughs> and so, like, I got to a place where I get, began to love her because I trusted her because I started with knowing her. Therefore, that when I got to obeying, I did it naturally. It wasn't this arbitrary ar obligation where I'm like, all right, let me go love my neighbor. Dang, this sucks. Let me go give all my money in my wallet to this poor person standing on the street. Let me go make some food for somebody because they don't have any other food. Let me go do this for the church because, dang, I got to be here on Sunday, bright and early in the morning. This thing is, is that when you know, it leads to how you can love and love with obedience. So when you do these things, because I know the Lord, I want to obey you. Because I already love you, I want to obey you. It doesn't become like, oh, let me do this just to, to gain more. Reality is he's given you all. He just wants you to have it all. And we just try to put it together with our own hands when he's already laid it out. Know him, walk with him, and it will develop everything that goes in this order that will lead to everlasting life. And so this love of the shepherd that it's talking about, this is the whole culmination of this, is that the love of the shepherd to the sheep is from the love of the father to the son. So it's the exact same love. That love that Jesus has for us is the exact same love that the Father has for him. There's no difference. It's the same exact love that Jesus explains. 
you know, that further with this, by comparison, the relationship between him and the father. Then where Jesus says, I will lay down my life for my sheep. It depends upon the love between him and the father. And it's as if he has said that there is no more possible for him to be oblivious of us than for the father to reject or neglect him. This love of the shepherd is deeply rooted in the love of the father. And so what makes this love even more profound is that this love doesn't just stop with those who know the Lord. It actually extends outside the church walls. Because it says in verse 18, or excuse me, 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And here's a really key point. And they will listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so this contextually was Jesus speaking to, you know, predominantly a Jewish audience in this moment about his love extending into the Gentile world, which have been ground shaking for the Jewish people to hear that there's an acceptance of someone that is not an Israelite or a Jew. And so this is more than a Jewish mission. It's actually the unifying work of the good shepherd that he brings together those who belong to him. Everyone. Jesus concluded this statement with a play on words that cannot actually be seen in English between these two words that is coming up, between one flock and one shepherd, where the words flock, hoyamen, and the shepherd, hoyamen, are similar in Greek. And the same six letters with the only last two in different order highlights the unity of the sheep between the Jews and the Gentiles as one people that come out of the center of the person of Christ. A unifying place that everyone is here. And between the unifying work of the good shepherd, that his love also reaches the people who are not sitting in this room today. He knows his sheep, and yet those who have not even joined the fold who are here that will listen to his voice. Now we find ourselves in verse 17. Jesus is again mentioning the Father's love and the because of it. He says, I will lay down my life that I may take it up again. This is the third time he said this in these couple of verses. This is the third time he said it. And this time, Jesus is mentioning with this phrase that he adds, that I may take it up again. He adds this on there. He said, I be- and I believe that Jesus is pointing exactly what he would ultimately end up doing, giving his life on the cross. Jesus makes a close connection between the cross and the resurrection, suggesting that the cross was from the beginning more about life than it was death. Even though the cross is historically the epitome of death, it's so it's at the same time is also the source of life, not only for the Jews, but also the Gentiles, for the world. But as Jesus is sharing this, this is not something that has been you know, forced by the Father that Jesus has to do. And Jesus says in verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down by myself. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to receive it again. This I received from my Father. So even in his death, death, Jesus is not a passive recipient, but the initiator. 
the only one in complete control. He's the only one in control. Everyone in the narrative it finds it's so funny when I read the Gospels and I see all these people and I see everything with like Pontius Pilate in the, in the audience who say crucify him. And everyone thinks they're in control when Jesus is sitting there silently preparing himself to do what he came to do. He literally is sitting there silent before Pontius Pilate. And he's like, this, is a, this man is pure. He hasn't done no evil. He has done no sin. And Jesus sat there silently because he already knew what he had to do. And everyone thought that they were, you know, prohibiting him from doing it. And he was like, no, you're actually taking me right to the point. Right to the place where it happens. Right to the place. And so this is no shepherd who falls to thieves or wolves while trying to defend his sheep. You know, a martyr who can save his sheep by a martyr who can save his sheep by not himself. No, death is not something this shepherd might face. It is the very thing he must do, and he willingly so does. For this shepherd, he does not only guard the sheep from those on the outside, but he also guards them from the sheep on the inside, the sheaves themselves. So this shepherd would not carry a wooden staff, but a wooden cross. And also the food and drink that these sheep receive from the shepherd is not from the fields or the streams, but from the body and the blood. This is what the sheep receive. And Jesus is fulfilling the promise of God from Ezekiel 34, 22, where he says, I will save my flock. I will save my flock. And so this is the salvation that is made possible only at the cross. So when Jesus concluded this statement, the crowd became divided. Obviously, it's not a normal thing for when Jesus spoke. But ironically, Jesus taught about the unifying work of the gospel through this illustration of the good shepherd in the gate, and it's here resulted in a new division. Though this time it was direct, really, in the guard of the person of Jesus, not anything else. As there was a divide then, there's still a divide today. And it's not about whether he was real or not. It was more or less following him as Jesus, as Lord, Follow him as who he is, as Lord. So I urge you today, as a sheep of his fold, to stay near, to stay where he's at. We've all probably heard this, the point where, you know, the, if the sheep would wander off and it kept repeating that process, what would end up happening? You'd break a leg. The shepherd would break its leg so that when the leg healed, that, shepherd, that sheep would actually stay right beside the shepherd. Now, I know some of y'all don't want a broken leg. I don't either. But the reality is that he will break your spirit to bring you close. That he will keep you near. He will hurt your heart to save your soul. He does this with his good intentions. And I urge you to press into that place. Press into that place for your life. You know, he is the good shepherd. He is the one and the only, he is the one who will give you better than anything else and anyone can. And he will love you right now just as much as he does when you're not better. And when, every, when that moment goes and your walls crack and everyone sees the reality of who you are and people walk out, he'll be right there. When you're angry and you're defeated or you've done something and you hurt someone, he'll be right there. So I urge you to step into that space of play, prayer and scripture reading.
But what's also funny is that it doesn't say that he was the great shepherd, but a good shepherd. You know, anybody can be great. You could be a great athlete, great doctor, husband, wife, spouse, friend, brother, sister, you know, the list can go on. You know, we can call anybody great, but to call someone good means you have to be close. You gotta be close to the person to be able to distinguish if they're good or not. Anybody being great, we can all accept the fact that Michael Jordan's great at basketball, but none of us are close enough to know if he's actually good. None of us. Unless you are, then I would like to go with you to meet him. <laughs> that would be great. And so at this, this, sorry, got me cracking up too now. And so this is what it is. Jesus has invited us to, work, to be close enough so you can see that he is good. Not a matter if he can, is good or he's gonna mess up. No, that he is good. That where you can see in the scriptures, you know, in Psalms 23, where David is doing this whole thing. You know, I, you know I don't get also funerals. I know it's great, but this is the one passage that is said all the time. But I think it's also beautiful with this is because it's David It was talking about the sheep. I think this exact passage from John 1, or excuse me, John 10, 1, the whole chapter that we've been diving through, actually pushes to an interpretation of this, of what was presented by David in Psalms 23. And so I'm gonna read it as, as a replacement. And I'm gonna ask um, Anderson to come up and play guitar, you know, make it more spiritual up in here. And so Jesus said, Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. For Jesus refreshes my soul. Jesus guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for Jesus is with me. Jesus' rod and staff comfort me. Jesus has prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus has anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to add verse 16 from this chapter. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. That is who we're talking about, the good shepherd. And I don't know where you guys are. I don't know where you stand. I don't know what you wrestle with. I don't know what you're going through. Some of you have been going through a lot. Some of you facing anxiety, depression, hurt, shame, guilt, abuse, verbally, physically, emotionally. And I don't know what you're going through. You can be physical. You might be dealing with some illness something you're facing or something in your life decisions. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what your purpose is. You don't know what you're facing. You don't know how to get through to tomorrow. You don't know how to get, you're gonna get through the next week or you're gonna do or whatever he's gonna provide. You don't know when what you need is gonna come. But I'm begging you right now that you will say yes to him, that he is the good shepherd, that he is innate in his goodness. He is only good. There's nothing ever bad. There's nothing ever wrong that he does for you. It is only good. 
He, that is all he is, is good, loving, pure, gentle, gracious, caring, provider, provision. He will be through every step. But what ends up happening is we're following other people off the cliff. We're so distracted with our life that our head couldn't get it, even get it straight. And we're thinking about every other thing but except him. You know, we are falling down and we've been trying to get ourselves back up. You know you can't. That you're dealing with some things. That you're going through some things. Or you're like the sheep that keeps wanting to run, run off. You're like, ah, I kind of like church. Let me go away. Let me come back and this repeat. Or you're trying to find something to fill this void. To step in and take this where you can be truly satisfied in your life. We reflect the sheep for many reasons. Because we as the sheep are needy, insufficient, and incapable of defending ourselves and being truly independent because we were created by the Father to be dependent upon Him. We're, you know, in, you know, in our weakness, we are strong because of Him. He is sufficient, not us. But He invites us in so He can do that. So He can do that for us. And so I, I have an invitation for you today. I would love for you to be prayed over that you can walk up here in front. I know that's such a bold move that you gotta, we gotta walk up front, but I don't want you to think about anyone else in the room because you and your life is your life and his. But I want us to be able to pray over you as a, as a reflection of like, oh, you're not alone because a lot of us in here are thinking we're doing this by ourselves. Even though we're a community, we feel alone. Even though we're with other people, we feel alone that we're having to do all this ourselves, that you don't. We want to pray for you. We want to lift you up. We are going through a lot. We all are. My life ain't perfect. I have to deal with business. I have to deal with my own self. I gotta check myself every day. We're all in this together. But there's only one good shepherd. And I want to pray for you. I want you to know his voice. I want you to be prayed over. And so my invitation for you is that if you would come up here, we'll pray for you. We want to lay our hands on you and fight with you. Prayer is a space of fighting, not just words. That is our form of fighting. That is our form of defense. That is our opposition against the enemy so we can defeat the enemy together because we're dipping into the resource of power. Jesus, the good shepherd.